You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And today, we are doing the dance of another. We are talking about the Suspiria remake from 2016? 2018. 18. And I gotta say, before we get started, a movie that has stressed me out in terms of talking about it on the podcast since 2018. We've talked about it briefly before in things like What's Keeping Us Creepy episodes on Patreon, just sort of like outlining what we've been watching. I think it squeaked onto my top 10 list in 2018. Yeah, so we talked about it very briefly there. Yeah, because like the weirdest thing about this movie is that when we first saw it, we saw it at Fantastic Fest. And I fell asleep while watching. (laughs) I really, I just didn't vibe with it at all. I wrote a not great review, which I think I've since unpublished because I, I disagree with everything I originally said. Upon watching this movie more and more and more times, which you really kind of have to do. I like it so much now. Every single time I've watched this movie, I I find more things about it that I enjoy. And now I would definitely put it on my list of best remakes of all time. Oh, yeah. No, it truly is one of the best because it's in concert with the original film. It's not 100% a retelling. It is true. Like that 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 line that you have already said that Tilda Swinton uh, delivers in this movie is truly like a thesis statement for the film. And they, they managed to say it in several different ways throughout the movie. Like when you dance the dance of another, you make yourself in the image of its creator. And there's also really great things. I know we're like doing a lot off the top of the show, but there's a lot of really great things in the movie that kind of embody that in this like fourth wall break way though after the fact that Jessica Harper is coming in right. and she's playing the, um, a ghost from the past yes and like a new role but like the fact that she was Susie Banyan in this other iteration of the story and the fact that you know the mother's the, the big grand thing that the that's driving the plot the fact that this coven has these faded mothers and they're lost in time and it's almost like there's this cyclical thing within the coven and the fact that we're in a sequel it's just it's so many fun layers of time and cycles and it's just really great how how you have those outside of the film things and inside the film things there's even a moment at the beginning of the movie where, well, man, we're lost in the weeds already. Let's reset a it's, little bit. Okay? It's, it's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So we're talking about 2018's Suspiria, directed by Luca Guadagnino, uh, a remake of Dario Argento's 1977 Suspiria. Not just a remake is of the movie is also kind of a treatise on remakes in general and it's like a what a remake is. But it's also. It also carries the bones of the original, but it's a different story. Completely. Yeah. In some ways, almost the photo negative of the original Suspiria. It's, it is truly an accomplishment as far as horror remakes go. I still don't think I understand a goddamn thing about this I, fucking movie. I agree with you on photo <laughs> negative, though, because like the music is completely like, oh, yeah. it's low key, it's melancholy, it's, it's really calm and soothing and yeah. quiet versus like, 
original Suspiria, which is very bombastic and loud, and then color-wise, like, this movie is brown. Yes. <laughs> We've come far away from the technicolor spectacle of that of that witch movie from the 70s. But the best part about it, I'll say, is that you don't have to have seen the Dario Argento Suspiria in order to appreciate it. I think You having... will have to watch this one 12 times. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I, I mean, fuck, we've probably seen Dario Argento's Suspiria 12 times, and, like, I'm still kind of piecing that one together. Yeah. They work in a similar sort of dream logic. Uh, This movie is very vibe-heavy, which I think a modern audience really responds to, maybe more than me. Suspiria is very vibe-heavy, though. Yeah, I mean, they they all work on emotion, you know? Like, it (laughs) makes sense while you watch it, but afterward, when you try and talk about it, maybe in front of a microphone, it kind of falls apart. You you just can't handle all the feminine energy, John. Yeah, maybe that's it. (laughs) Uh, So, before we get into it before we try and figure this movie out before I try and figure this movie out and Kim tells me what I got wrong uh, let's go mm. with let's let's give let's give three good things about Suspiria 2018 number one let's start real simple let's reset let's bring some nightmare on film street energy to this very not nightmare on film street kind of movie are you gonna movie. talk about witches making fun of penises I mean that's a good one <laughs> I was gonna say number one Tilda Swinton eating chicken wings isn't that always fun <laughs> not the kind of person I ever expect to have even been in the same room as a chicken wing the weirdest thing is you bring it up like whenever we talk about the movie you're like why are they eating chicken wings <laughs> yeah maybe they need the bones for a spell later John you think they need the bones I think <laughs> no. I like imagining that it's these just these are like, classy witches they dance their spells right they would not eat chicken wings yeah, you wouldn't they might, think but though. something there's something Thing, um, of the earth about primal it? Primal yeah. about <laughs> sucking the flesh from a bone. <laughs> nah, I think it's just fun. Yeah, sure, we got some witches playing with penises, and we've got, like, laughing at penises, and Tilda Swinton eating chicken wings. What's good thing number two, Kim? I think good thing number two, and it's maybe the reason why I didn't enjoy the film upon the first watch, was simply because I didn't get it, yeah. but this movie's not spoon-fed to you. There's mm-hmm. a lot of plot, and there's a lot of moving parts, and you really have to read those captions when they're not speaking English, and you really have to try to read as much <laughs> as you can of the books when they flash them. No, it's impossible. There's so much coven workings in this movie that I myself, honestly, I don't think I got, I like narrowed in on the plot until like the third time we watched. It's Which rough. maybe I'm just a dummy, but. It's possible. Um, I love that about it though, because I find every single time we watch it, there's something else I I surmise or I believe, or I'm like, what if this is what this moment means? Or what does that glance mean? And, and I'm definitely in the weeds. Uh, every time we watch it. You know, I'm just realizing that because my, my knee-jerk reaction for good thing number three is that uh, Tilda Swinton plays three roles in the movie. It's Does that, she play three? She 100% plays three roles. Because I still don't movie. know. And I'm like Sherlock Holmesing every single time I watch this movie. I'm practically like sitting an inch from the screen looking at everything. <laughs> And I still don't know. I know she plays two. Confirmed two. Well, there's, she, confirmed she plays the one that has her actual face on it. Yeah, she's <laughs> playing Madame Blanc. Confirmed she's Tilda Swinton. Yes. <laughs> confirmed she's uh, Klemperer? Dr. Yes. Klemperer? Dr. Joseph Klemperer, who, if no one remembers, in 2018, before this movie came out, everyone involved insisted that he was a real person. He was a real professor who just late in life decided to get into acting, including in a fucking interview that I did with this screenwriter and Jessica Harper where they were like oh no he was great to work with loved Dr. Klemperer well it's it's in the um the credits as well like yeah Dr. Klemperer as himself (laughs) no it's in it's a an actor's name but it's a yeah it's a fake name yeah 
The funny thing, though, is if you pause this while you're watching Amazon Prime, they have that x-ray feature where it literally says, Dr. Klemperer, played by Tilda Swinton. <laughs> you're like, spoiler alert. Well, that, not really. It it really sounds like Tilda Swinton. She's doing yeah. a great job. She's got really good old man gait. Right. Um, and especially when she's, like, naked in the finale. <laughs> and you're like, wow, they did a real good prosthetic on that old man belly. Like, that too many chocolate pies belly. The whole body is a prosthetic. <laughs> but... Yeah, she's definitely wearing a whole suit. Yeah, but she also. But plays. you can tell, totally tell that it's Tilda Swinton throughout. Yeah, she does a better job playing an old man than Robert De Niro does playing a younger version of himself. Uh, in the Irishman. In the Irishman, <laughs> but she also plays Mother Marcos, another full body. She suit. plays Mother Marcos. Yeah, just a completely fucked up, gross looking witch. She's Mother Marcos. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah. I probably knew this at one point, but wow. That's great. Interesting move, right? For a movie talking about three mothers, we've got Tilda Swinton playing three characters. There's a lot of, there's a lot of that. This is definitely a movie made for people who want to get a giant uh, clipboard with red yarn and strings trying to figure out the theories of it. (laughs) You could investigate this movie the way you could investigate a crime. Like there are so, or a conspiracy theory. There are just so many pieces and things that lead to here and to there. And have you read about simulacrums? (laughs) And you're just like, what? Uh, And you could fixate too. Like there's, there's stuff about this movie I still don't get that I'm going to ask you about in a bit. But like. I try, honestly, I can guarantee you I will not have an answer I need answers, John. <laughs> and I haven't looked at the internet, and I know that you've done some research for this, at least external research on, like, the time period. Oh, don't so don't say that to them. Please, <laughs> please uh, give me insight. I'm going to sound like even more of an idiot now. <laughs> like, he did research, and he sounds this dumb? Great. Yeah, well, I mean research. I mean, you were looking at it for an hour or two. You're in good hands, everybody. I read <laughs> about the... Um... The Red Army faction. I read about uh, societal and cultural uprising in Germany in the late seventies. So I'm I'm prepared to talk about this movie. I guess. Did we do three good things, or do we only do two? We I'm did. Lost. Th- we did three. Okay, good. Let's um, throw to the trailer so that we can get lost in this. Yeah, let's take a deep breath. You're gonna listen to the trailer. We're gonna get prepped. <laughs> beginning she gave me things perfect balance perfect sleep she wants to get inside of me i can feel her she can see me when you dance the dance of another You make yourself in the image of its creator. I feel like I'm not even here yet. (laughs) The dumplings incredible. One, two, three. The way she transmits her work. You have to decide what is it you want to be for this company. There's more in that building than what you can see, Doctor. Dangerous people. Three mothers. Three God. Three devil. Mother Tenebrarum. Mother Lacrimarum. And Mother Suspiriorum. Darkness. Tears. <laughs> and sighs. some kind of deal with them. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Suspiria is currently sitting at 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb, 66% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is funny, because when I remember when this movie came out, it was like a 98%, but I guess the rest of us watched it. I think that's why I, I disliked it so much when we came out of the theater, because everybody was just like, wow, that was really the best thing ever, and I was like, I don't know what it was about. Yeah. <laughs> And also a 3.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd. But yes, that first viewing that we saw was truly an experience. Because we're surrounded by like 100, 200 people talking about how it was, oh man, that was like a religious experience seeing that movie. It was like, I don't think it was that fucking good. So like you just sort of like insulate yourself in that opinion. You're like, you know what? No, it was even worse than I remember. <laughs> I think it was a piece of garbage. And then I got to interview people who made it. And now a year later, we have the the red yarn in the, in the yeah, wall. And we're yeah. like, but what if... <laughs> Yeah, what if it was actually casting a spell on us the first time we watched it, and it was intentional that we wouldn't like it, but yeah, we did see it in the theater. We gave it its due. It came, you know, we saw it at a film festival, but when it had its, like, theatrical release, we went to go see it, watched it again, realized how wrong we were, and yeah, every single time now that we watch it, it gets a little bit better every time. We've actually watched it twice now in prep for this episode. Yeah, the first time we watched it, we just were not ready to talk about it, and I needed to do it again. We literally just just finished watching it so it's super fresh in our minds Uh because I couldn't do this movie you know like watching it the night before and sleeping on it there's just there's too much you're gonna lose it all it's all gonna evaporate (laughs) from you but I wasn't joking when I talk about the movie casting a spell a little bit I feel that way watching it that when like the same way that I feel watching so many David Lynch movies that while I'm in it I understand it. It's like taking mushrooms, right? Like, you're just like, oh, I've got it all figured out. And then <laughs> I'm never going to, I've solved all the world's problems. And then the next day you're like, what? Something about everybody should have fun walls? Like, you write stupid notes for yourself. It just sort of, like, disappears in your hands later on, right? I- I'll agree with you that I feel that cast a spell thing, but for different reasons. I think mainly the music, the Tom York score, this movie makes me so melancholy like I am in such a funk right now that's so funny and like I'm in a funk through the whole movie I'm in the funk yeah. whenever that song is playing I'm in a funk when Susie is talking to Klemperer is this at why the you, end is this why you don't like Radiohead like does Radiohead just put you in puts a funk puts me in a funk <laughs> yeah like I just can't like okay it's too much. <laughs> That's interesting because I feel I'm like too emotive <laughs> I feel like you like bands like Modest Mouse because they put you in a Similar but slightly different but type pe- of funk. But it's pessimistic, optimistic. This is just like pessimistic, sad. Okay, it's Kim likes up tempo stuff. I like it up. Be as, sa- I could, like up down, not down down. It could be <laughs> as sad as it wants to be, as long as it puts a smile on her face. <laughs> this movie's definitely a downer. I think the biggest thing that stops people from approaching this movie or liking it, which definitely like was a big red flag for us at least me like when we first saw it is how vibe heavy it is it is very mood driven and i'd say 90 percent of the movies that i watch that are vibes don't tell as strong a story as this one does what stopped me from appreciating it initially was just how much it seemed to be riding a vibe and there are too many movies now that rely on vibe a little too much I don't think they put as much effort into story as something like this does or a movie like Mulholland Drive or something well and also it's designed just in in story wise that upon first viewing you are to be confused from the second it starts until the climax scene when they're doing the final spell you do not know exactly fully what's happening yeah, like, like most of the movies, the told. characters don't know fully what's happening. Like even the people that you think are leading the charge uh-huh. are 
completely underestimating the situation they're in. So yeah. it isn't upon like third viewing that you, you're starting to see why people are making the decisions they are because Susie, the lead character, the protagonist, she's new to this school. She's come from America. She d- she doesn't have any formal training, but she's amazing and mm-hmm. she's um, she's impressing all of the teachers with her abilities and also the fact that she has She's come already knowing the lead part for the for the dance that they're performing because she snuck out to see it a bunch. Like her whole life has been leading her here. And we see clips of that. Like when she's a kid, she's supposed to be learning, you know, her homeschooling. And she's obsessed with Berlin and yeah, going something's, to Berlin. Something's pulling her to it, right? It's like her entire life has been leading her to this dance academy. And she doesn't necessarily know why. And nobody can understand why she's so good at what she does. But it all just seems to fit into place. Yes, and everybody's underestimating what's pulling Susie into this dance academy. Because everybody understands, kind of, once she impresses them, everybody understands that she's important and she's to play an important role in the coven. But I don't think anybody, it's probably, see, now this is in the weeds of the story. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm currently trying to Google something about (laughs) about weeds I want to get into while you're in your weeds. So, okay. (laughs) So the coven, there's, they're, they're in, you know, kind of inner turmoil, which mirrors the turmoil outside because we're set during a lot of like war-torn strife, which hopefully John can explain later. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> but in the coven, they're they're splintered. Some of them believe that Marcos, who is their original leader, at least in modern times, who has kind of soft-retired. She you is, think so? No, she's at the end of her life. They've been trying to like um, keep her alive by various spells, and she is claiming that she's one of their appointed heads of the coven. So they believe in these three original mothers. It's kind of this religious belief um, of these mothers lost in time. There's three of them. They're very, like, deity-like. <laughs> uh, and Marcos is claiming that she's one of them. But Madame Blanc and some of the coven are kind of like, that's bullshit, you're just a crazy old witch who's dying and trying to prolong your life. Yeah. So the coven, when we come in, is is doing, I guess, like their annual vote or however. Oh, you think it's annual? I think they do it maybe before each time they're they're about to do a major thing. At the beginning of the movie, they're trying to ready this girl, Patricia, to be the host body for this spell that's supposed to uh, prolong Marcos's life. And they do another vote in between after Patricia fails, her her spell fails or, or she is not willing or whatever, um, they do another vote to make sure that's still the course they're on. Yeah. And and Marcos wins again, so now they're they're readying another girl, which they think is going to be Sarah, but then maybe turns out to be Susie because Susie is uh, so impressive. Yeah, and there's, there's an energy. <gasps> <laughs> I know, isn't it tough? You have essentially described one-seventeenth of this movie. Uh, but I, like, I'm not doing anything chronologically. Like A lot of this stuff you learn in bits and pieces throughout the movie, like finding out that Marcos is even this orchestrating being you don't fully grasp that until like the end when she's suckling at Susie she's like yeah <laughs> let me have your body <laughs> yum yum and I, maybe it's worth mentioning that this isn't something anybody's ever done they don't even know if this is necessarily going to work this is just her trying to get four more years <laughs> as the leader of the witches yeah right? and her body is so grotesque in like yeah. the best ways she's she's like obese and falling apart and she's old and there's like all of these nasty sores and bruising on her and there's yeah. little like arms and like extra body parts hanging off of her because they have clearly been sacrificing and stitching together and 
essentially like stealing from their coven to keep her alive. Yeah, you think they've been feeding her girls, essentially, I right? for sure think so. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Because they do seem to have the ability to Or at take... least like babies. <laughs> <laughs> like, like classic witches, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like they do have the power to take abilities from people and give them to others. Uh, like, for instance, when Susie shows up, she's very promising. There's something special about her, but she doesn't have... Uh, the technique that some of the other students do, some of the other dancers. She so can't th- jump. So they, yeah, they, they, they literally take the ability to jump from another dancer and just like telepathically give it to her. The way they communicate that in the movie is so fun too, because it's basically just like zooming in on a character and a character going like, what the fuck's happening? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then zooming in on another character. And that other character's like, did I just get the ability to jump? <laughs> and then that first character has a, has a seizure because of how traumatic that was and how... I don't know how strenuous it is to have <laughs> a physical ability telekinetically vampired from you. There are so many furtive glances in this movie, and I'm so obsessed that I'm like, what did that one mean? Well, I think the good thing about this movie is that every performer knows exactly what's being communicated. It isn't just a furtive glance to add an air of mystery or suspicion. Like, there is... Like, I would expect actual dialogue to have been written for those glances. Like, everybody knows what they're saying to each other without saying it. And sometimes in this movie, also voiceover saying it to each other. Well, so they do communicate telepathically, and I don't think that is communicated to us until later in the movie. Yeah. So I think there are a lot of moments where the witches are looking at each other and they're talking. Oh, absolutely. Um, And they can also definitely have a sense of see or or gauge what's happening elsewhere with the other witches and when spells are being performed. I think it's beyond that. I think these are classic witches where they can literally see through mirrors and through the eyeballs of photographs. Well, th- that's definitely conveyed in the very beginning of the movie, but it's such an onslaught. Like, they hit the ground running when the movie starts that uh, everything Patricia spews, you're like, wow, this girl's manic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's right. She's that's right. the thing. She she's right. right. <laughs> you know? She's talking to a psychiatrist who's like you're delusional girl <laughs> like I don't know what to tell you I think you've but lost then, he, then he's definitely like us because he's like well maybe yeah, possibly <laughs> he's great in the movie Klemperer because he has an air like he's concerned about Patricia as a human being because she is clearly manic she's been saying crazy things she's delusional she's also uh, falling into like the far left uh, radicalized sort of activism that's happening in Germany at the time and and so beyond just her mental health, he's worried about her just out, like worried that she's essentially making Molotov cocktails and like getting arrested by the police. Like we're still in Cold War era Germany where uh, where we've been split up between East and West Germany. Like some of it's social or some of it's communist, some of it's democratic, but it's all bad. You know, like everybody hates everybody because the Nazis are still technically secretly in power. Uh and he's trying to get to the bottom of what happened to her. But the great thing about him and why I think he's just like a really good therapist all around is that he believes her just to like an extent. He Well, he begins... believes that what she's seeing and experiencing is real to her. Yeah, but, but he... also he like the more he looks into these things that she's been saying, he's like, "Okay, well maybe it's not a coven of witches." Yeah. But this is a delusion on top of something that may be real because the fact that there are factions doing dastardly things under the cover of Nightfall yeah. 
is true. Yes. It's very true in the streets, so why couldn't it be true in the dance academy? Right. He's got such an incredible line when he's talking to Mia Goth in this movie. Like he's trying to communicate to her like his concerns and he's he needs somebody on the inside to sort of like help him poke around and see if there are these secret rooms inside the dance academy. Because the cops are useless. He says that a delusion is a lie that tells the truth. Actually the quote I thought you were gonna say was the thing about love and manipulation being bedfellows because uh, Sarah, Mia Goth, doesn't want to believe any of these things that Klemperer is telling her Yeah, because she just sees a dance academy. Yes. And she's like, she's got great friends there. She lives there. Madame Blanc, Tilda Swinton in her regular role, <laughs> is like a very kind woman. She cares about these girls. Mm-hmm. And you see that as they begin to start nurturing Susie into being this vessel for Helena Marcos. Yeah. And Madame Blanc doesn't want to go along with it, partly because she thinks Marcos is full of shit, I think. Yeah, but the last girl they tried to do this to, Patricia, went absolutely insane Yeah, because of it. And, like, the Dance Academy just thinks that she's become radicalized and she's just sort of, like, fallen off the deep end with everything. But Blanc knows it's because they've been moving too fast and what they're trying to do is basically impossible. Which is what's so promising about Susie, because she seems receptive to it. And the, the farther we get into it, she seems to be wanting it. All signs point toward this girl's perfect for the job. You know, like she wants to do it. She doesn't understand what she's necessarily agreeing to. Um, But every step along the way, it seems to make her stronger and stronger as they give her more ability. And they are like rushing this. They've got a bit of go fever because they're they're clearly like running out of time. Marcos is going to die soon if they don't do it. Um, And yeah, you're right. Blanc is kind of like she's protecting the girls, especially Susie. By trying to do this as slow as possible. Like, she doesn't want... Well, she definitely, like you were saying, doesn't want Marcos to succeed, even if she is right. But two, she doesn't want to put more girls in danger just because Marcos says that it's time. Mm -hmm. And it's great, too. um, You kind of find out the dynamic uh, of the coven is so split up when Tanner, who is uh, another one of the lead witches, the Dance Academy teachers she sneaks marcos into a closet underneath one of the rehearsals to kind of feel or see or or whatever yeah the new girl Susie and uh marcos is all creepy into the floorboards being like yum yum this is the one she's taking her body for a test drive right like she wants to see if this girl is the one yeah and this is especially a big scene of those furtive glances because everybody's realizing like Tilda Swinton's judging Tanner. And And Tanner's like, yes, (laughs) that's right. We did sneak her in. And they're all looking at the floorboards because Marcos is down there. It's it's a lot. (laughs) Okay, look, we we are taking too many small steps and putting the magnifying glass to too many things. Like the, the bullet points of this movie is that we've got a dance academy run by witches. Turns out dancing is how you cast a spell. And these witches are trying to hollow out a girl so the spirit of their head witch can take that body over. Uh, we find out in the end of the movie, I think we could go ahead and skip to this. Let's go. That Susie Banyan is there. She's ready to do it. She's like, take me, I'm yours. <laughs> but also, but not yours, yours. I'm the vessel for Mother Suspiriorum. You think you're Mother Suspiriorum, but I, man, this sounds so bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. 
<laughs> but like so they they try doing the spell in front of people. Like they they're hosting a dance, which frankly there's a whole conspiracy red board that I have prepared to talk about that dance that I fully don't have the answers for. Uh, but we'll come back to it. Okay, anyway. so they do a performance. They do a performance in public. It doesn't work properly. Um, so they they have to do it in secret again later on. Um, they have. Do ki- you think? Sorry, it's called Volk or whatever. Do it's you think, called Volk. Do you think that's the spell? Yes, absolutely. They're trying to do it in public. The dance of Volk, if they if they perform it fully from beginning to end, will make Susie Mother Marcos. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't but know it doesn't. If I believe. I don't know if I'm fully on board with that. But that's so it doesn't work out properly because uh, because Sarah played by Mia Goth, has a broken leg. She's been investigating. She's trying to, like, get to the bottom of the witch stuff. She's sort of, uh, while the dance is going on, she's investigating the dance academy. It's the where secret she, rooms. Yeah, it's where she finds Marcos. It's where she finds Patricia and Olga. Who Man- are, like, these undead husks. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Olga. Like, that's probably a scene everybody remembers. Like, And this is maybe the first scene where we show that a dance is a spell. And it's also where we got the dance of another shit for the title of this episode. Yes, because <laughs> when Susie is first dancing the protagonist in Volk Tilda Swinton Mom, Madame Blanc comes up to her and, and like, like enchants her hands exactly and right to and basically be like weapons yeah so the dance that she's doing is literally like destroying Olga in the most disgusting way possible the way that she moves her wrists around and the way that she contorts her body is sort of like stretching Hurling her across the room oh yeah it's just beating <laughs> this girl to death it's truly horrifying it's crazy too though because there's there's some kind of there's got to be some kind of enchantment to these injuries because these girls don't die no which they, is I think they keep them alive up. so that Marcos can feed off of them, right? <laughs> and when we see Olga later on, she's crawling around the floor. Like, her feet are gone. One of her arms is missing. Like, I think that she's... I, either she's eating her or they have literally taken those body parts off of Olga to sort of give them to Susie. Like, I'm not entirely sure. There. No, I think they're definitely to feed Marcos. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Because it's in, like, Marcos's den, and she's, like, a, yeah. she's like a spider. Because there's, <laughs> so good. there's all of these, like, cool spell-like webbings yeah. in there, and she's got these, like, flies that are basically, like, tied up and, yeah. ugh, similar, like, immobilized. Similar to the silver webbing that we see taped on the floor for the Dance of Volk, which in itself is playing off some, man... Okay, we're already here. <laughs> I've got the board out. So Susie's arguing with Madame Blanc at some point about the dance and how she wants to be, I want to be down on the floor here, which is so great because Madame, <laughs> Madame Blanc's response is, you're mistaking physical weakness for artistic preference. Yeah, she's just is... like, I wrote this, bitch. <laughs> yeah, like how does she have the fucking balls to say, I think this is wrong and maybe we do it like this. And she goes on to explain that, like, I don't think you understand the times that we lived through when we when we wrote this dance. Bitch, we want to jump. <laughs> Yeah, bitch, we want to jump. We want to feel the resistance of the earth, right? I think the dance itself is uh, in some way a bit radical for the time when it was written. I think it's a It's bit, very sexy. It's a bit of an act of protest. I think it's a bit of a story of people's struggle. Mm. But another layer beyond that is that it is a witch's spell. Like, I really do think that if they were to perform this, they would be transferring Mother Marcos into Susie. Um, it also... I, th- I think plays into the power struggle that's happening in the movie and in the dance academy. Like, they clearly set it in 1977 in Germany intentionally. 
so this is some a period called the German autumn, which I'm going to give you the, the bullet points for. Okay. Because even I truly don't fully understand all of it, but essentially like this is where all the baby boomers have grown up into college students and they're realizing what their parents did and what their grandparents did. And they're trying to reconcile that. Like it is just a real tense time in Germany because they're learning about their past. They're learning about all the awful shit of world war two and the Holocaust. And they're trying to ask their parents, what was your opinion back in 1938? Mm. What were you doing in 1942? And it was pretty much just like a stonewall approach from the the uh, the older generation. Like, we don't talk about World War II. And the kids wanted fucking answers. And on top of that, you have all of these people in control of Germany that were Nazis or Nazi sympathizers. And like, that's true. That's not just like a bit of opinion or something. In the 70s. In the, yeah, I mean, like post World War II. So 1977 in particular was just like the culmination of a lot of like protests. Um, and it was a big angry stew. It was a big angry stew. We don't get into, we don't need to get into all the details of it, uh, but it does involve a uh, plane that was hijacked by a Palestinian group, which were sympathizing with a German group, the Red Army faction, which a bunch of which were in prison at the time. They were trying to negotiate the release of those prisoners. You see them talk about it a bit throughout the movie. It's like a seven day plane hijacking where they literally took an entire plane hostage. They killed the pilot at one point. They made a whole bunch of demands. And there is, like, we literally, watch a news broadcast about this so it clearly it's important yeah at least in mirroring the story somehow yeah um but we've so we've we've got a power struggle in the world that's happening which is sort of a um the war out there the war in here yeah and it's it's sort of an echo of the power struggle we were having during world war ii and it's just like the backdrop for everything we do patricia even says at the beginning of the movie that the witches have basically been dormant since the war and so now they're trying to sort of regain power themselves like I think them gaining control here in this little dance academy and figuring out their own little power structure is going to help them uh, gain more power in the real world in general yeah and especially too because we learn from Susie just in her offhand you know how she's a good dancer that she's seen them in New York three times so uh-huh. like they're an acclaimed academy they're touring oh, with their with their spells yeah which means that when they're they're not infighting they're probably out there doing witchy shit Oh, absolutely. All across the board. Now, the dance fails in public because Sarah gets injured. She breaks her leg. I'm going to keep disagreeing with you. I don't think Vogue is the spell. I think they literally say in the movie that they weren't able to complete it. Yeah, I agree that they weren't able to complete the dance of Vogue, which was probably a different spell. Okay. Because... When we go to this finale in like the big tomb that they do it in, yeah, there's so. an operatic singer. Yeah. A bunch of the girls are doing these formations on the ground, like the dancer girls are that, naked. That, those are dances doing... that are happening in Volk. But it, they're not in a star formation. All of the teachers are are nude, but they're wearing the hair of the girls that they've been cutting off over these periods of time, and they're all in like they're all in the exterior of the of the room. It's a different formation completely, and then there's this like body form that's made a podium for this singer like it doesn't look like the same dance to me okay well i mean you could be right i mean the the dance could be the prep for it and it was cut short maybe that's why the girls are with them down there in the catacombs like because they still need to do the prep for it all 
But I think well, yeah, because they go out to dinner and they definitely like entrance the girls a bit. They're singing songs and the girls are all like, "Woo!" Well, yeah, it's that way so they don't remember anything. Yeah. Right? So they do. Madame Blanc talks about wanting to bring back an old practice for this ritual in particular. She wants to bring in a witness who is Doctor Klemperer. He's there at the public dance. I don't know why. <laughs> I also don't know why. I feel like of all the theories I have, like this is one I don't, I don't want to worry about just yet. I, I don't like, know if it. Uh. I like the idea of a witness, somebody who, in a group of people, is watching the exact same play, but he knows something different is happening. Like everybody else is watching this wonderful performance, and he is seeing the creation of evil and he's the only person that knows it and nobody else will believe him Mm. you know it's a delusion uh filled with lies that tell the truth and i think this is the exact i think the reason i think volk the public performance was supposed to be the spell Mm -hmm. is because they have to kidnap him later on to be a witness in the catacombs i yeah i i feel like that might may have always been the intention yeah but i mean i don't think Either of our interpretations are necessarily going to change anything. No, it doesn't. Not um, at all. Because here's the, here's the- how they kidnap him is pretty fucking brutal. So <laughs> the entire movie, we've Doctor Klemperer's story is so melancholy. Everybody. So this movie at the beginning, this is the most frustrating thing about this movie for most people is that the opening it says six acts in an epilogue, and you're like, what the fuck? Like how much? <laughs> how much movie is this? Every character in this goddamn movie has six acts in an epilogue. <laughs> like there's. Too much arc and okay, too so, much character yeah, development. In, in short, Doctor Dr. Klemperer lost his soulmate Ankemeyer in the war. They got separated. Um, she was definitely a Jewish woman who was a very high risk situation. He didn't get her out in time, mm. and so he doesn't know what happened to her. Uh, the witches take advantage of that when they need him for that big final spell that he's a witness to. Uh, Anka aged and gorgeous Jessica Harper <laughs> yeah. appears at their cottage uh, that he's been maintaining his whole life. Which is on the east side of the wall. Let's not get into that, but it's a, it's a fucking journey to get there, and he still does it constantly. Just to, like, maintain the gardens and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, he's com- completely enraptured. She tells him that, you know, she thought he was dead. She got away, but she lost her papers, so she had to, like, assume another identity. And she's been living... She's been living a great life, but she thought he was dead all along. Yeah. Um, they, but they both thought each other had died in the war. And yeah. so, w- after she tells him this, they have this, like, lovely walk through the snow. Mm-hmm. And they're going on this journey away from the cottage, which we don't really think anything of. No. Until we end up right outside the doors of the school. And she has disappeared. And then he's like, wait, what the fuck's going on? And then the witches come out, they they snatch him up, they cackle a whole lot, and they <laughs> chastise him too, like saying that, you know, you had months to take her out of Germany. You knew, like, she kept telling you what was going to happen and you didn't believe her. And then they also tell him that that's exactly what he's done since the war in his profession, that women come to him and tell him the truth and he just says that they're delusional, which is true about what's happening in Patricia, but like, it's hard to take, like, a 19-year-old girl and say, like, my dance academy's full of witches and they're gonna eat my cunt on a plate! And you're like, oh, yeah, no, she's totally sane. It's so complicated. Like, it's so gray because, I mean, the witches aren't entirely wrong, but, like, he's been trying. He's been doing his best. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think it's the guilt and shame that yeah. he has of the death of his wife that has led him to try and help Patricia. And the most frustrating thing about his character, which I find truly 
confounding about this movie is at the end when Susie comes to see him, like as Mother Suspirior. That part ruins me every single time. When I talk about this movie being melancholy, this is the crux of it for me. I cry every time we watch okay. it. Well, so she shows up and she tells him not to, not to talk so flippantly about something You're that like, you found so, so she tells I'm him. like, this fucking bullshit here. She tells him everything about how his wife died and about how like her last thoughts were of him. And it's hauntingly beautiful and it's heartbreaking but then she erases his mind you know it seems like a bit of compassion almost that that i don't know it like undercuts a lot of what's going on yeah but she's telling the version of him that that is living with this story that she she lived all this time and was and disappeared yeah i think she's telling a version of him the truth so that version is like bookended before she erases everything like, I think there's there's something, I don't know, to be said about the fact that it matters that that version of him needs to know the truth or deserves to know. Like, he wasn't supposed to be brought into this. What they did to him was wrong. Mm-hmm. So she's correcting that, and then she's erasing it. But here's the dastardly part about it, though. She erases all memory of Anka. She says all memories you have of Anka Myers, of Susie Banyan, of Patricia, of Sarah... Of all the women of your undoing, I erase, like, she erases all of those memories from his mind. I don't think he has a single, because he essentially, as far as the real world would see it, he has a stroke, and now a portion of his memory's gone. Mm. But I don't think he has any memory of his wife at all. That makes me sad, because, I mean, I I think that could be true, because we end on the heart that they carved into the wall, and it's like, that's the only sign of their love. That they ever existed. The two of them, right? I know, that's awful. She does say something about how, like, they don't want to, they don't need his guilt and shame. Well, they, they, that they need guilt and shame, but not his. So like it's does she which, mean the which, world or does she mean the coven? I think she means the world. I think in order for the witches to succeed to have power in this world, they need guilt and they need shame, which there's plenty of it in 1977 enough. in Germany. Like well, maybe yeah, sure. instead of killing him, she's doing this version. Like you know what I mean? And it's kind of a soft killing. Like now he's gonna live the rest of his life in this untrue bliss. <laughs> but why make him a witness then? Like what benefit? Like maybe Well, I... she didn't want him to be a witness. She said I, I wasn't in a, I wasn't in a state to prevent it. She's like I'm sorry yeah. what my daughters did to you. I just yeah, I I, she I don't She doesn't agree with yeah. what they did there. <laughs> I know, but I don't understand why they needed to do it in the first place. I'm like, why do we need a witness? I'm like, I, I get it, it's evil. It's fun cuz like maybe <laughs> maybe they can pass him in the street every once in a while and be like, ha, 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 "Motherfucker." But outside of that, what's the point, you yeah, know? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I, just yeah, I don't truly know. don't know. So then to take it away to and to apologize though, I think, for it. I think there's too much other shit. Yeah, I mean, the cool part about this movie is that it ends in so much bloodshed. There is so much blood and the- gore, heads exploding, <laughs> people just being cut in half. Yeah, the finale of this movie is fucking crazy. And I have to say the special effects, like getting out of the weeds of a bit, uh, a bit the special effects of this movie are a choice. They're so gross. They're, well, and they're very... Digital in a way, a little bit. Like, Olga's death, especially. Um, the the contusions on yeah. the girls' bodies don't necessarily look real. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a shininess to the, all the magic. There's this dancer's form in like a rainbow, like a light occlusion. Yes, that's that's in the girls' rooms when they're dreaming. That looks like it's dancing folk, maybe. Maybe. Like, and the dreams are fucking weird. There's a lot of visual choices in this movie that aren't standard, yeah. which. I think is cool. Like, I don't necessarily love how everything looks in the finale. Like, when 
How it's a little Susie. stuttery. Well, when Susie's finally like opening up her chest, like it's very, it's very computer generated looking. But mm-hmm. look, it, it's intentional, I suppose. And yeah, there's stuttery camera and there's blurriness and especially for how practical Marcos and Klemperer are. Maybe it's just because we have an, like we have Tilda Swinton there, and like it, it's not going to be believable if we don't coat her in silicone and latex. Mm. So. In the finale, they think that they're going to go into Susie. Uh, she's becoming a husk in the ceremony. But then this, like, demon appears. Yes. Uh, and that's what changes everything. Like, truly horrifying looking demon shows up. Yes. Almost so, looks like Bagul or whatever his name is from Sinister. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> comparison. But it's full out demon. Full out demon. Uh, like, long talony fingers, sinewy hair, An evil even, demon face. All of the witches start screaming, like, b- the moment that they see this thing. Which is great, because this is truly one of their, like, deities. Like, this is Mother Suspiriorum. This is one of the three mothers that's been lost in time that they worship that is kind of, like, the source of their power. And even even knowing that, it's fear and trembling, right? Like, because they're witnessing a god. Like, no matter what, whether or not you yeah, it's worship overwhelming. it, it's, it's horrifying to see. Now, do you think that this spell, instead of putting Marcos in Susie, is putting Suspiriorum in Susie? Or do you think... Suspiriorum is just being awoken within Susie and she's been there all along. I think it it's a bit of both, right? Like yeah. I think it's fate and destiny because like she has had that pull to Berlin since she was a child. And her mom, her birth mother knows who, that there's something evil about her. Yeah, because we've been mirroring her mother's who's like a Mennonite back in Ohio, her mother's death this entire time. Yes. She's on her deathbed. It's very pilgrimy. It's very Tom Yorkie. Yeah. It's very sad and, and melancholy. And Susie's clearly the 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 death of her mother in this moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's something that you pointed out that I had just I had just always assumed that her mother's death is like her mother died, finally gave her the ability to leave home and go to Berlin. But I think you're right. Like I think she is alive throughout this well, whole movie. I think the thing too is that Susie is a mother. She doesn't have any mothers. So there's kind <laughs> there's of this fuck we sound like crazy. No, people. but so that so I've got <laughs> other crazy shit that we're not gonna have time to Wait, talk about. I have a I only theory. wanted to make this I'm 45. in the middle of okay. my theory. Okay, so I think Susie's a mother. She doesn't have any mothers. And there's these two false mothers who have claimed to be their, her mother. Uh-huh. Uh, Marcos wants to be her mother. And her birth mother wants to be her mother. They're all nearing death. And they all have these death wheezes. Oh, that's great. Both Marcos and her her mom in this film uh-huh. are like around yep. her. And she's the only like fresh alive thing. <laughs> okay. Wow. This is an immaculate conception of witches is what you're saying. Like she is. She is. <laughs> That's fucked. Um, She's like the chicken before the egg story. Yeah. And she has to pronounce death to all other mothers, which Marcos thinks it's to assume. So Marcos can assume her body. But she doesn't realize she's a false mother already. But I think it's for her ascension. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We sound ludicrous. It's fucking crazy, I know, right? There's also a great little like quilted quote in her mother's farmhouse that says, like, a mother is the person that can take the place of anyone, uh, but... But no one can take the place of the mother. Like I'm not doing that quote justice, but that is essentially like a little it. cross stitch. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like the Mennonite version of "Eat, Pray, Love," you know. But like, it's very, it's mm. there's there are so many thesis statements in this movie, and that's what that's is what uh, I one found so frustrating about it the first time around. But I, it's just too much. I think it was just sensory overload. Oh God, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I don't know what any of it meant. And then the more I watch it, the more I'm like, well, but what about this? 
So, and like that is true. I'm very glad that we published a negative review of this movie initially because I truly think that this is the this is the intended course of this movie. I think you should be like, what the fuck? Why do I have to watch this twelve times in order to understand it? Why do I gotta like pull out the history books and learn everything about something that I never knew before I can fully get the meaning of this? But then, as you naturally do that over the years, and you watch that movie twelve times, you're like, okay, well, this is kind of a brilliant piece of art. I haven't looked up anything about, you know, like the climate of Berlin at this time. And I still feel like I have gauged enough of the story to understand like what that is referencing. I do not know what that specific incident that they're talking about, that specific hijacking and uh, like suicide slash slash assassination mission was. But I feel like I can grasp generally what the mirroring is. Mm hmm. What I think maybe upon this viewing is that assassination slash suicide is somehow telling the story of that one witch who we haven't even touched on and we're like way over time. Oh, I want to. Griffith. I want to talk about it for at least two minutes, okay? <laughs> so she commits suicide at one point during, you know, like witchy time, witch talks, uh-huh. when the teachers are away from the students. And one, I don't know who she is no. in terms of the coven. She doesn't say a word in the movie. And I don't know why she kills herself. Yeah. And I feel like that scene about the um, hijacking must explain it. So the hijacking, the German autumn and everything, think of that as the end of an era, right? It's like the end of a chapter, especially with the uh, Red Army faction. And, you know, like the end of World War II is the end of an era there. We're, we're approaching the end of another era here, the dawn of another, which is the dawn of the witches. The witches are the ones taking the ascension now. It's the time of the season. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, Griffith, I find fascinating she, she is a character that i watch with with more intention every time that we sit, sit down to watch this movie we thought she was tilda swinton maybe the first like four times yeah, we watched like, it because it, is it she? almost kind of like, it's know. not it's definitely not <laughs> uh, i remember looking it up it's okay. not it's not played by jessica harper <laughs> no not jessica harper tilda oh, sorry tilda swinton my mistake yeah no it's not it's not tilda swinton but um but still like clemper's <laughs> got a different name attributed i i don't know man so I still don't fully understand her character, but... What's I, your theory? Because I have none. My, well, no, I... So my theory <laughs> is that at the end of the movie, when Suspiriorum is going around blowing up witches, they are the people who have... They are Marcos's followers. And you asked... Who believed in a false mother, because Marcos was claiming to be a deity and yeah, she was not. exactly. So they she casts them aside. She explodes their heads. Uh, you had asked me while watching it whether I thought that they were making that vote in live time. Uh, which I did at the moment, but I think it is, we're just seeing the vote from previous. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah. So she just, she's just going around killing anybody who wasn't, who was, who was following Who Marcos. worshipped Marcos like she was a god. Except, Except Tanner. <laughs> <laughs> who takes the place of Griffith at the end of the movie. Oh. She is, is the, the witness? witness. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, so like that's what I think it is, and it's like some. It's like so you this... think Griffith like wasn't a witch, and she was a witness to like the previous. Oh no, I think she something? was. I think she was a witch, mm. but I think she she is a little bit removed from the rest of the witches. Like she is sort of viewing it from a different standpoint than everybody else. And, and I, like, I don't know if she's a teacher. We don't see her teach classes or in classes. She's often like in windowsills and up and away, like witnessing em- everything and being very empathetic about it. She looks like she's experiencing a lot of. Pain. Pain and sorrow constantly. I think what you're describing is shame and guilt. 
<laughs> so I think that's what because yeah like and when we see Olga get destroyed she cries like she you're like you're right she's very empathetic to what's happening and I think Tanner is taking her place at the end of the movie okay that makes a lot of sense because she looks super haunted at the end when yeah, we see her just like Griffith is throughout the whole film yeah because Tanner was definitely like Marco's you know biggest oh, yeah. advocate mm-hmm. and was leading the charge of like let's hurry this up let's make Susie the husk let's yep. get this going yeah um, and Suspiriorum spares her because she is a witness to the events and is it's like you will always see the horror of that and the power that they have on her face and just like how fucking wrong you were yeah and there's nothing you can necessarily do about it like she's the, the physical embodiment of the guilt and shame that they need to feed on uh, in the real world that's good. Yeah. Now I I feel like I have a an understanding of that way more. But I I still don't get the Klemperer stuff and like the that, what we end on in the film. Like I get that it's it is this this symbol this heart that they have carved on their cottage house is the only sign of their love and their connection and their history together. But maybe they're saying something too about like that being its own spell, like. You know, like, mm. you don't necessarily need to be a witch to cast something in time that lasts. I see. Or or that the, that life is comprised of uh, secret histories. Mmm. And that they're almost a secret history, like a delusion, which is a, 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 ch- okay, a lie okay, that okay, tells okay. the truth. <laughs> like, that's you know what I'm saying. Like, there's just, there's too much of this movie that is just, like, circles and circles and circles. And I constantly sound like a crazy person every time we talk about it. But I learn more and more. I appreciate it more and more. And it has, and man, we didn't even necessarily talk about the fact that, like, the dancing the dance of another is Guadagnino talking about dancing Argento's film. You know, like, all of that can be transposed onto just the the idea of making somebody else's movie that you think is perfect, but you're going to do it again differently, but the same. That's what I really love about this movie and what I kind of wanted to end on was that in a rarity, I think watching this movie enhances the viewing of Truly. the original Suspiria and Absolutely. vice versa. Yes. And not necessarily because they they increase your understanding of the story, no. but they, <laughs> they just increase the interpretation of, of what each film is it's crazy like Like, i like the original suspiria more now having enjoyed this movie yeah and and vice versa every time i watch one or the other i'm like wow this is this is great like i love how the original Susie, you know like counted the footsteps and then we have sarah doing it in this one like that's a nice little homage that even though they're different stories they're both trying to find the same thing it's it's so great like i I could watch both of those movies back to back constantly like just like in a loop and Mm -hmm. like after watching the 2018 one all i want to do is watch the 77 one yeah exactly vice, (laughs) vice versa it's nuts which is great though and and as somebody doing a sequel or a reimagining you're doing it because you love the original and you want to honor it and yes. like what a great way to honor it by making people who watched your movie be like i want to watch the 77 one so and like <laughs> what what i what i would like to end on which is just like another fucking fountain of junk <laughs> That's what we should quote this in the description. Yeah. Uh, the, the fountain of junk from Nightmare on Film Street. Is essentially like the definition of simulacrum, okay? And like that is what the professor writes down at the very beginning when he's watching Patricia go insane. And she's talking about people hollowing her out and taking her over. Which could honestly be like the 77 Suspiria talking to the world about the fact that somebody's going to remake me into something else, right? It comes from the Latin, it means likeness, semblance, it's a representation or an imitation of a person or a thing. 
And it seems to be something that philosophers, especially people like Nietzsche, have talked about tons. There's different interpretations on what the word necess- on the word means. In The Twilight of the Gods, he talked about suggesting that um, by ignoring the reliable input of their senses and resorting to the constructs of language and reason, arrive at a distorted copy of reality. Ooh. There, so I got to honestly just look up the Wikipedia page for simulacrum and just start reading and like. It feels like you're you're really reading a roadmap to how people remake movies, what remakes are. Uh, so are you getting into this being a commentary on on film and sequels? Yeah, I, I do think so. Like, I think when I watch Suspiria 2018, it feels like they are Spoiler talking alert. about... John thinks every movie is about filmmaking. I think lots of movies are about Every filmmaking. single movie <laughs> is about, like, an artist's internal struggle. Yeah, I... I and you know what? Every time you come up with your evidence, you, you're... You're fucking not wrong, but I still think it's fucking crazy. (laughs) Like, there's, Uh, fine, you know, every filmmaker has, like, hubris, and there's got to be DNA of that somewhere, but... I don't know, man. <laughs> okay, fine. Like, look, all, all I'll say is that there's like a hundred other junky things that I want to talk about this movie. Uh, I find it very hard to stop talking about it because, uh, and, and even if we talked for another three hours, like, we're not going to get to the bottom of everything. No, we made like a pact at the beginning of this. We're like 40 minutes and then we're out of there. And here we are, over an hour. Yeah. But <laughs> what you gonna do, right? There's so much. Yeah, and w- which is great because it just means that a whole bunch of people who loved this project devoted a fuck ton of energy to the project over a period of years and they thought about every single fucking detail including what Tilda Swinton should be eating when Susie Banyan goes to see her in her goddamn apartment. Check out my uh, I just fucking love the fact that they made this batshit intensive really obscure movie and we're like Amazon original baby. <laughs> yeah. Like this is one of Amazon's tentpole movies. It's one yeah. of the first big Amazon originals yeah. and like they really promote it and they were really like yep this is it this is the remake of Suspiria it's a big deal and it's fucking confusing oh absolutely and it is not conventional and it's not just a movie that you could like sit down Friday night and watch and then be like well it's 10 p.m. time to go to bed forget everything about that yeah. like afterwards you're just like what the fuck you're like did I just see a bunch of hair in a toilet and a woman smearing a- <laughs> intestines all over her chest <laughs> you're like what about the other two mothers <laughs> and what the fuck do those dreams mean <laughs> oh what a good why movie. are they using their pee <laughs> what a good movie man it's very strange. I don't even know how to rate it. Like, it's just one of those ones that... What I do you think kinda... the dreams are? Oof. Well, I mean, some of the dreams are definitely... We can't get into this, but it's like some of the dreams <laughs> are definitely like Susie's memories. Some of it are just like messages that the that the witches are sending to Susie to sort of like prep her and groom her for all of this. Um, I can say this right now, though, that like having interviewed the screenwriter, they were... He and Luca Guadagnino had sort of like done a huge sort of like Bible book of like feminist art that they wanted to use for interpretations for the dreams. Yeah, because they are very like just artsy vignettes. Yeah, they look great though they do look great yeah i don't know if they mean anything they're very tumblr-esque who fucking knows <laughs> but it's just like it puts an image in your mind and it conveys a mood and a uh, atmosphere broken glass it is uh, it's a vibe you know and uh yeah the dreams are very vibey yeah what do you think okay oh, come on another question <laughs> i'm trying to just get to ratings and get the fuck out okay well what do you think the rainbow dancing husk thing is in the room and that that leads Susie to the final climax like Do you think that's a representation of a spell being actively put on her? Do you think that's a spirit? Like, what do you think it is? I got a real concise answer for this. Hmm? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, like, it could be fate. It could just be, like, the spell, the pull, the energy of Suspiria. Like, I... uh... 
Do you think like maybe it's a, like it is the sigh? I think well, I mean, that's possible. Uh, I, I think it is just the the curious pull that draws you to something. Like you don't know what it is that brings you, but you're like, I have to I, follow. This. Well, maybe that's in the case when it's leading her, but it's in her room at night whenever she's having these spell dreams. I'm gonna go back to my original answer and say I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but I will say that you you did say a great thing when we were watching the end of the movie where she cuts her fucking chest open and you were asking whether or not she's letting a sigh out or letting a sigh in. I also don't have an answer for that. I think that's a chicken and egg thing. I think that's a Susie Suspiriorum thing. Uh, it could be one, could be the other. Uh, just to fucking put a nail in this coffin, I'm going to go ahead and say 3.75 out of 4 and walk the fuck away. Yeah, I'm going to say... F- <laughs> Four out of four, but it's still like I'm still confused about things. But yeah. honestly, I've I've never thought about a movie this much. I know that's come out in modern times. So congratulations. Yeah, the thing that stops me from like truly loving it is that I don't think I should have to think about movies this much. <laughs> I think I should be able to just go woo. You're like truck. I hate this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why it did feels you... like homework. <laughs> it's good homework though. <laughs> uh, that's the problem when you like like movies and you like visual storytelling that you become obsessive like this. Yes. And like you both love it and hate it. You're uh-huh. like, why did I do this to me? <laughs> and then why did I embarrass myself in public by trying to talk about it? Anyway, that's what we thought of Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. Hit us up in, uh, I was going to say in the comments here. I don't know where the, there's no fucking comments on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Well, there's like a weird question thing on Spotify. Oh, yeah, which we definitely check. Yeah. Yeah, you... (laughs) Let us know what you thought of Suspiria and how it compares to the Argento original. And Uh, any theories you have. Oh, I want to hear every crazy theory you fucking got. That's exactly what Discord was made for. Hit us up at nofspodcast.com slash Discord and chat with us about Suspiria. Yeah, man. Do you feel like... Don't start another question. (laughs) I was just going to say, do you feel like you learned anything more on this viewing? No. (laughs) I know, I feel like I could watch it again right now, and we've watched it twice in a week. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's to the film's credit, right? Like, that says a lot. Please tell everybody where to find us on Patreon, Kim, so we can leave. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, uh, if you want more Nightmare on Film Street and you want to hang out with us, come to our watch parties or our game nights. Hit us up on patreon.com slash nightmare on film street or nofspodcast.com slash fiend club to support us uh, with a small donation every month in exchange for all those cool perks. There's hours of content waiting for you over in the Fiend Club. And we'll be back again next week talking about dancing the dance of another. This is a fun, Another time. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this is a fun little pairing. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you guys... You know what? I was going to say, like, ooh, I'm going to be real elusive about what movie we're talking about I published next a week, calendar now. <laughs> which, of course, is fully ruined if you've looked at our social media or our website where we tell you exactly what we're talking about ahead of time. Anyway, we'll be back next week talking about Jordan Peele's Us. But until then, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.